Welcome to our online midweek Bible study. Uh, we're studying Hebrews, and we're looking at the topic, Jesus is greater and superior to all. I apologize because I found out that a couple of the links had not worked that I sent out over the last uh, few times. So uh, please go to the website for this lesson, and you'll find there a button where you can find all the ones that you might have missed. I apologize for that. But we're continuing our series today about Jesus is greater and superior to all. Let's review for a moment. So far, we've seen that Jesus is greater and superior to all, and the reasons why he is, the evidence. We've seen that Jesus is greater and superior to all the angels that were ever created, that Jesus is greater and superior to any human that has ever lived, that Jesus is greater and superior to the lawgiver Moses, that Jesus, this time, is greater and superior to the great high priest Melchizedek and the Levite tribes. I encourage you to do two things before you get too far into this podcast. First of all, I want you to go to our website and want you to look at the notes and read those notes first to get familiar because there's a lot of material we're going to be covering in this lesson. And then I have some scriptures right at the beginning that I think would be very good for you to read first uh, before you start listening to the rest of this podcast. And those scriptures are on the note page, but here they are in case you don't have the note page. Read from Hebrews 4, 14 through chapter 5, verse 6, about Jesus being the great high priest. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20, read that one. And then read the entire seventh chapter of Hebrews. And once you do this, please return to this podcast for the lesson. Well, we're looking at how Jesus is greater and superior to the great high priest of Melchizedek and the Levitical tribe under the Mosaic law. In the handout and your reading, you are aware that Jesus is compared and contrasted to the tribes of Levi, the priestly tribe, and that of this mysterious Melchizedek. Now we know the primary function of the great high priest was that of a mediator a mediator, a mediator between God and man and man and God. Now, you may feel that you don't need a high priest, but you do. That high priest is a mediator. You see, a priest is someone who can bring you to God and someone who can go to God for you. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I need. Don't you need somebody who will bring God and make him real to you and mediate to him for you? And don't you need someone who can plead your cause for you? Well, that's a priest. And that's our great high priest, the Lord Jesus. When you look in the book of Job, you know there are two themes in the book of Job. One is why do the righteous suffer? And another is how can a man ever be just or justified before God? Now, Job knew that he was a sinner and he knew that God was holy. And it's like Job is in this war with God or in some sort of controversy with God or in a contest with God or in a court with God. In fact, all those are descriptions throughout that entire long letter or that entire long book of Job. But when you come to Job 9, 32 through 33, Job is mourning. He's lamenting. And he says, God is not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in some sort of judgment. He's saying, I can't talk with him face to face as a man, as I would talk to another man. And then he says, neither is there any mediator between us that he might be lay his hand upon us both. I need an umpire. I need an arbitrator. I need a mediator. 
And that's Job's dilemma. Job says, God is almighty. I'm just human. I'm finite. He's holy and I'm sinful. How are we ever going to be able to get together? How can I ever be just or justified in his sight? Well, I can't, I can't lift myself to his level. That's what Job's thinking. And he's not going to come down to my level. Oh, that there were a mediator, someone who could lay his hand upon holy God and sinful man and bring us together to bridge that gap. You know who Job wanted, don't you? You know who he anticipated, don't you? It's the same one that Paul told Timothy about when he said there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus, as much God as if he were not man at all, as much man as if he were not God at all, he's not a half man or a half God. He's not all God or no man, not all man and no God, but he's the God man, the one who could lay his hand upon the almighty God and sinful man and bring us together. And that's what a priest desires to do, a mediator. And so we find out that we do have Jesus as the greatest and superior high priest of all. In Hebrews chapter 5, it explains how Jesus can even be a high priest when he's not a member of the tribe of Levi, but is from the tribe of Judah. Well, how could he be that great high, great high priest? The priest had to come from the tribe of Levi. You see, Aaron and the Levites had the priesthood, and it was handed down to the Levites. How did this happen? Look in Hebrews 5, verse 6. The answer is Melchizedek. Jesus, as a high priest, is superior to Aaron and all the Levites, and that Jesus is a high priest not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles also. Now, that's what it's all about, and that's why we can rejoice that Jesus is the great and superior high priest. Now, go to Hebrews chapter 7, and I want to show you several reasons why Jesus is greater and superior to any other great high priest. Let's begin with the mystery. It begins with a mystery in verse 1, this mysterious Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? We want to know more about this subject, and we're so disappointed that we don't. But Hebrews 5.11 tells the reason why we don't is because the people that the Hebrew writer was trying to tell them that comparison to were too immature to hear or understand the rest. Well, either we're thinking, well, man, we wouldn't have been that immature, or maybe God realized we're just as immature as they are. But for whatever reason, we're not giving, giving additional information. And that's led to all sorts of speculations about who is Melchizedek. Now, I found that sometimes people are more entrenched in their speculations and opinions than they are sometimes with the real facts. Without information, people for centuries have poured over the story of Melchizedek that's found in Genesis and here in Hebrews and have come up with some elaborate speculations, all of which are hard to prove or disprove since we don't know enough to do either. Now, since I brought it up, it would be fair to mention that there are some speculations without covering some of the basic ones. So what are some of those basic ones? Well, let me talk about two. First, and this is really popular, that Melchizedek is the pre-incarnate Christ. That some really believe that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is none other than Jesus himself. Or that Jesus is in the fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
So they conclude that since Abraham is paying tithes to this king priest, it must be Jesus. Another popular one, speculation, is that Melchizedek is a created being like God creates the angels. In heaven, Hebrews mentions is a sanctuary, and the sanctuary here on earth is just a type or a shadow of the heavenly sanctuary. Therefore, they conclude, Melchizedek is a created being that is the great high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. Jesus is after the order, not of the earthly priestly tribe of Levi, but after the order of the heavenly priesthood, the order of Melchizedek. And if you talk to anyone who's a member of one of those two camps, you will find people who are passionately convicted and convinced that they have found the answer. And they will have an answer to any objections you might bring up to their interpretations. So what I want to do is move away from that speculation and study from the scriptures. No interpretations, but let scripture interpret scripture and find out what we don't know and what we do know about Melchizedek that helps us to understand the main point that Hebrews is doing in comparing Jesus to Melchizedek to show us that Jesus is the greatest and superior high priest of all. So let's go to what we don't know. Look in Genesis, uh, sorry, in Hebrews 7, verse 3. We don't know his genealogy, and we don't know when he was born, and we don't know when he died. From Genesis 14, if you go there, we can add some things that are not known in the Hebrews 7 account. First of all, Melchizedek blesses Abraham, serving him bread and wine in a communion of victory and blessing. Melchizedek then gives Abram a new name for God that had never been used before in Scripture called the God Most High. First time this is used. Now go to Hebrews 7 and see what else we know about Melchizedek. Verse 1 and 2. We find that his name, Melchizedek, means King of righteousness. And we also find out that he's the king of Salem, and the word Salem means the king of peace. So he is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. He was the king of Salem. Now Abraham had been in a battle to rescue his nephew Lot, who had been kidnapped. And Abraham had won a notable victory over the alliance responsible for kidnapping to save Lot. And as Abraham is coming back from the battle, there appears to him Melchizedek, this mysterious Melchizedek, the first and only time he ever appears in the Bible story. He was the king of Salem. His name means righteousness. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. We also know when you look in verse 1, not only was he the king of righteousness and the king of peace, he was the priest of of the God Most High. See, there's the name that Melchizedek gave Abraham in the blessing. So Melchizedek is the king priest. That was rare. In most city-states during Abraham's time, the priesthood and the kingship were two different institutions that depended on each other to stay in power to keep the peace. But Melchizedek has both offices. He is both king and priest. Now, this is what we know. We know how he's compared to Jesus. Look in verse 3. He resembles the Son of God. He remains a priest forever. Jesus is called throughout scriptures the King of righteousness and the King of peace.
Now, I love that. When you go to Psalm 85, verse 10, it says, Mercy and truth meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Righteousness and peace are connected by God in the Bible. Righteousness loves peace. Peace loves righteousness. They kiss each other. Our high priest is the king priest, the king of righteousness, and he's the king of peace, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When sin comes, righteousness leaves. And when righteousness leaves, peace leaves. I mean, you cannot have peace without righteousness because righteousness and peace kiss. They love each other. They're connected. And they, the people who are looking for peace in our world are looking for peace, but they're not interested in righteousness. And there are people in our world looking for justice, but they're not interested in holiness. Why is there no peace in our cities and in our nation in this time? Because we're not seeking righteousness from God and we're not seeking holiness from God. And therefore, we cannot have the peace of God. Everyone wants peace, but they do not want the righteousness and the holiness and the forgiveness of God. We're trying to do everything we can in our society to, to have peace. But you cannot have true peace without righteousness. Because righteousness and peace are linked. They are connected together. They've kissed one another. Jesus is the king of righteousness. And Jesus is the king of peace. And so we'll never have peace until sin is dealt with. And thank God at Calvary. Let me tell you what happened at Calvary. One more time, righteousness and peace kissed one another at Calvary. And you see at Calvary at the cross, through Christ, our King of kings and Lord of lords, how righteousness and peace are reunited to offer us forgiveness of our sins and to make us turn from being sinners to becoming holy in the sight of God. So from Genesis 14... When Abraham came back from this victory, the king of Salem, the king of righteousness, this king of peace, blessed Abraham and shared bread and wine with him to celebrate the victory God had given Abraham. Now, the Most High God was the one that got the victory. And so the Most High God was the one who was celebrated by Melchizedek and Abraham. And Melchizedek brings the bread and the wine. And that's what we do when we come to the Lord's table in communion. We take the bread and the wine and we celebrate the victory that our great high priest, the greatest and superior of all, our Lord Jesus Christ, who's given us the victory. It's a God-given victory at Calvary and we celebrate it. So how did Abraham respond to the blessing from King Priest Melchizedek? We'll look in verse 4 through 5 in Hebrews 7. Just think how great Melchizedek was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires that the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the Levites. This man, referring to Melchizedek, however, did not trace his descendants from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, verse 9 spells out why the priesthood of Melchizedek is greater than that of the tribe of Levi, the Mosaical priest. One might say that Levi, who collects the tenth, 
paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. In other words, Levi had not been born yet. And Abraham is tithing to Melchizedek. So you have Abraham who will have Isaac as a son and Isaac will have Jacob as a son and Jacob will have 12 sons and one of them will be named Levi. And out of Levi will come Aaron and the future priest and Moses and the Mosaic law centuries away are centuries away from existing at this point. But Hebrews says, look, Levi through Abraham is offering a tenth already to Melchizedek. But here's the point. Jesus is greater and superior to any great high priest because he's the eternal king, the priest of righteousness and peace. It's a mystery. The mystery of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, forever and ever and ever, without beginning, without end, the one who gives the victory, the one to whom all praise and honor and giving is due. So we've seen the mystery of how Jesus is this great and superior high priest. Now we'll you look at the majesty of what that means, that Jesus is our great king priest. Look at the majesty. Look at verse 4. Just think about how great Melchizedek was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. What does that mean? Well, continue to read here, and you're going to find out what that teaches us. Go, drop down to verse 7. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. What does that mean? Well, when Melchizedek blessed Abraham, that means that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. That means he's greater than the Levitical priesthood because the less is blessed by the greater. And since Jesus is greater and superior to Melchizedek, then Jesus is greater and superior to Abraham and to the Mosaical priesthood. Melchizedek is lesser than Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest priest and king of all. That, that's the logic behind this. And just follow that for a moment. In Zechariah 6, 13, here's the prophecy. Yet it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. There is the king priest, Messiah. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, priest king. And the council of peace will be, be, will be between the two offices. The Messiah will be the king priest. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And he also fulfills the prophecy in David's Psalm of 110. The Lord has sworn and he will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is greater and superior to Moses, Abraham, the Israelite tribes, priesthood, and Melchizedek. And even though he comes from the order of Melchizedek and not Levi, he rises and becomes superior to Melchizedek. The better is greater than the lesser. Now look in verse 7. When you think about the majesty of Christ, you think about his perfection. His perfection. Now here's the contrast between the priesthood of Jesus and that of the Levites. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, why was there a need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. In other words, if perfection, utter completion of our salvation could have occurred on the Levitical priesthood, there would have been no need for Jesus to be the king priest. 
But Jesus had to come, didn't he? He had to become the king priest because there's not perfection. The Levitical priesthood was only a shadow. And all the offerings that the Old Testament priests made, thousands and thousands of lambs and rams and pigeons and turtle doves and goats and all that could never take away the sin because it was imperfection. And all those offerings did was to prefigure the one offering, the perfect offering that was going to arrive. And so you see in verse 11, if perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, then why would we need another priest? But we know that they did not bring perfection. All that was a shadow of that which is going to come. We need a perfect, great high priest. We need a perfect, different covenant. Look in verse 12. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed as well. Jesus is the new great high priest, not from the Levitical priesthood. And with him, he brings down his new law. Drop down to verse 18. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And you have to scroll down then to verse 22. Jesus is the guarantor of that better covenant. He's the one who guarantees that better covenant. We need a permanent and everlasting priesthood, and that is only found in Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back to verse 15 through 17. Put this together. What we've said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears. One who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Jesus is not the high priest because he was born into the tribe of Levi. No, he was born to the tribe of Judah. It's not an ancestry that he has or a regulation, but his power, his priesthood comes from life, eternal life, indestructible life. That's why it's declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so in verse 24, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. As great and essential as Levitical priesthood was in the Mosaical law, every priest who ever served died. But Jesus is the indestructible life, the indestructible power. He has an eternal permanent priesthood. Oh, there's a mystery that surrounds the greater and superiority of Christ as the great high priest of Christ. But his priesthood is superior because it's heavenly, perfect, and permanent. His priesthood brings a new covenant with a new oath. And that's so important to understand and to know. Because Jesus lives forever, he is the guarantor of the new covenant. Jesus is the majestic king of righteousness and perfect and permanent great high priest. Greater than Abraham, Moses, and Melchizedek. There is none like him. There is none greater. Let's look one more time at Hebrews 7 and then we'll close this lesson. Jesus is greater and superior to any great high priest because of his saving ministry. Verse 25, in his saving ministry, he makes intercession for us. Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He intercedes for us. Isn't that wonderful to know 
that my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is my great high priest, is praying for me and interceding for me. He finished his work of offering us forgiveness on Calvary, but his work is not finished in terms of intercession. He's still interceding for you and me. Not only does he have a great saving ministry because he intercedes for us, but he saves us from our sins. How, how does he save us? He saves us completely from our sins because he has a powerful, pure, permanent, and perfect saving ministry. Look in 26 through 27. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of other people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Listen to me. He will never, no, never, no, never, no, never, no, never, no, never let you go. You say, well, what if I sin? Well, we have, when we sin, we have the great high priest who lives to make intercessions for us. That if we will confess to him our sins, he's faithful and just and will cleanse us of all of our sins. That's what he does for us. Remember what a priest does. He brings God to us and he brings us to God. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And that is a saving power of that. There is the power of that saving ministry and there's a saving purity of that ministry. Do you know what all that means? It means that our priest, high priest, will never need to be forgiven of sin. That our great high priest is not like any other. That he's never sinned, so therefore he never has to be forgiven. Thank God that he will never, never, never sin. And yet he became sin for me on the cross. He took my sin, your sin, our sin, their sin, and all the sin upon himself and became a sacrifice for our sins. The pure, perfect, holy, blameless sacrifice. That's the purity of his saving ministry. The purity. Wow, we covered a lot this week, didn't we? I imagine you'll want to go back and listen and study this lesson more than once to really grasp all the things we've said about Jesus' greatest and superiority as the great high priest. So let me summarize and, and, and give you these thoughts. We should thank Jesus for being our great high priest who can help us overcome temptation because he was tempted like us, but never without sin. Therefore, he can empathize with us when we're tempted. We should praise Jesus for being our great high priest who completely and utterly saves us from our sins. His perfect sacrifice for my sins has taken me from being a fallen sinner to be crowned with glory, honor, and power. I believe that we're blessed. Blessed to have Jesus as the King of righteousness and the priest of peace. So therefore, let's tell our friends and those around us in our family who are fretful and fearful who are concerned about the divisions and hostilities in our country and world, that the real and only solution for peace and justice and reconciliation for all people comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Not just lip service to God, but heart-changing, soul-transforming sanctification by the Holy Spirit to where we desire to be reconciled to God and each other through the greatest and most superior priest of all, 
our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.